This podcast could potentially have adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly the possibility of sexual content. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Drinking With Authors fans. We have some pretty big news from your host here, Erica Lance. We are moving to change the format of the show to be one episode. So there's a few episodes that record the old way that we're doing the new way. And that's what you're listening to. So thank you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And we love having you as fans. On to the show. Welcome to Drinking With Authors. The I'm sitting outside edition. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) I'm just warning everybody. So if you hear like nature sounds or guns or trees, welcome to living in the mountains in North Carolina. You know, that's what happens here. But there's construction going on inside. So it's a lot less loud outside than it is inside. Um, So it's house destruction, not not house destruction destruction right now. Just craziness. Like three contractors are all here at the same time. And then I'm like, you know what we should do? We should do a podcast. (laughs) I have a really hard time planning my days. Anyway, my co-host today is the amazing Bo Lake. I've got us off on such a great start. And with us today is the amazing JP Corwin. Woo! So welcome, JP. I finally get to be with you on recording. There's documents now. There's proof. <laughs> there is proof. That's if I ever air this, this is, episode. We'll see how it's going. Oh, well, yeah, there's that. There's that. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about what we're drinking, because, man, with this construction, I need to drink. But this is literally my last. I can buy more, so it's not like it's gone forever. But I believe in you. Sam Pellegrino, <laughs> pomegranate, and black currant. I really love mixing this with gin. It has like, become one of my new faves. Well, what so, kind of gin? Um, in a drinking with authors, cup swag, you'll get JP. But what are you drinking? I am drinking a Blue Moon. Even though it is 11 a.m., I'm living my best life today. <laughs> it is 11 a.m. for it. That's okay. I, I, you know, hashtag life goals. Okay, yeah. JP, what are you drinking? Well, since it's 11 a.m. for you, but not for me, because I'm on the other side of the pond currently, I, I'm, I'm, I'm showing solidarity by having coffee. However, because it's you and you're a terrible influence, uh, <laughs> I've decided to break out the very last of uh, my special occasion, my my lovely single mock Glen Murray. And so I've made myself some Scottish coffee. I love it. I love it. Um, my latest is putting Bailey's Espresso and Kahlua into a chai oh, tea latte. And cold <laughs> well, not to have that. It's like, I'm going to call it instead of a dirty um, chai, it's a naughty chai. <laughs> So if you're going to do that, you have to get a, you have to get a mug made with like chains or whips or something on it. Then it will work. Oh, write that down. I'm I'm helping. (laughs) Drinking with authors bondage cups. Oh boy. We we could do another one with like, like those tassels that you wear on your boobs. And then the, The oh naughty chai, the naughty chai latte with 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 uh, uh, pasties. Yep. Yes. yes. Love this. That, which means you need to have pastries on the side so you can really completely just ruin the whole thing, right? I like I like where your mind's at. <laughs> so for those people who now think you write erotic bondage books, <laughs> actually, what do you actually write here? Um, I am okay. From purely an author's perspective, I write military fantasy horror. 
Okay, that so but you're not purely an author, so let's just let's dump the whole kitten. Oh, the is, is that okay? Let me let me dump my purse yeah. out right on the floor. Yeah. And we'll do the whole thing. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay, uh, I am a singer, songwriter, recording artist, composer, occasional sometime voice actor, and a military fantasy horror author. Very cool. So oh oh, and I'm legally blind. Well, That's less of an accomplishment, but I feel like it's worth mentioning. <laughs> I, well, yeah, I don't, I don't think <laughs> I want to be when I grow up. No, well, right, exactly. I mean, it's not a goal, but it's a thing that is. Have you always been legally blind? I have. It okay. used to be way, 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 way less obvious and dramatic. I'm to the point now where you know the cane is a sort of mandatory thing while going about socially in, in places and so on. I used to carry it mainly for identification because there was a time I used to, you know, walk, talk, run, chew gum, fight for fun. And I don't mean like fist fights, um, but martial arts stuff. Um, I can't do that anymore. The vision has gotten to the point where that's sort of not an option. So now it's not just about identification and the occasional obstacle. Now it's about, I'd like to not run into things. I guess I'll use the cane. No, that's, that's a good life goal. You know, yeah, well, I, yeah you know, I prefer not running into things, although I make a tremendous habit of doing that anyway with vision. So right, fair. fair. Yeah. It's, it's I don't feel lonely. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I commiserated with the coffee. You're commiserating with the bashing of things on furniture. It's fine. Yeah. Great. Thank you. If, if I just have <laughs> a number of times I've broken my toes, especially oh, my pinky toes. I have a broken toe right this minute from doing that. <laughs> I'll well, tell don't you do it to me. <laughs> I'm only half blind. I'm just blind in one eye. So. Well, don't give it to me. You can keep the broken toe. Don't <laughs> yeah, give it no. to me. I don't need it. I'm okay. My, I broke my leg a couple of years ago. So while walking, that's all I have to say about that. Anyway. Um, were, were you, okay. Were you drunk? No, I was not. It was Is that the, the problem? No. The silly <laughs> speed tables that they put in the middle of the road. I do. Uh -huh. In Florida, they make them so... They're sort of like a piece of toast in the middle of the road. So they go down on each side. Did you get hungry? The sidewalk. So it doesn't like meet the sidewalk. And I was walking and I was turned talking to my boyfriend and um, still walking forward, but turned around to talk to him and it went down and I wasn't prepared. So I got what was called a spiral fracture in two locations. Ooh. Anyway, but the funny part of the story is not that well anyway but <laughs> actually that when he did an x-ray of my foot and my leg to you know see that i had broken it he saw my toes and he's like what the hell happened to you and i'm like well I've broken my toes. <laughs> that's never good like, yeah it's pretty much just calcium around that area no longer like, i'm like that's cool that means it's like drink milk Ooh, okay <laughs> JP, when did you start writing? Uh, so let's clarify that question. Overall or professionally? Both. However you want to answer it, it's your podcast. I just asked the questions. Oh, I got then it. You're you where you want to go. So, I mean, I, I'm a storyteller at heart. That's kind of always been a thing between the music and, you know, like a lot of a lot of fantasy authors. I, I've done my share of tabletop gaming. Everybody likes to chuck dice from one, at one time or another, right? Yeah. So, uh I've done my fair share of storytelling and I love to tell, I love to tell stories. It's, it's a thing I enjoy doing, whether it's through music, through the lyrics of music or just the actual instrumentation or through prose. But my issue was always a matter of, of sitting down and writing um, something focused enough all the way through because I like to jump around and deal with the individual people as appropriate. 
Um, so I've been writing, quote, telling stories, quote, for most of my life, like since I was a kid to one degree or another. But as far as anything serious, I, I did a thing that hopefully a lot of other authors or soon to be authors can relate to. I wrote a thing. I was super proud of having finished it. I'm super glad it didn't get published. <laughs> um, it, it, it is now the alpha draft of a book way down the line in the series. In fact, it is the first book in the next series. Um, it's not that anything in there from a story or plot perspective was bad. I just, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was a new writer as far as anything serious was concerned. My prose without me wanting them to ended up extra purple with a side of purple. Um, <laughs> that was, that was not ideal. I like purple, but not on my prose. And that was sort of suboptimal. So I waited a year or two and this was, this was 2015, 2016, something like that. Okay. Somewhere in that neck of the woods, like the, the mid teens of this, of this lovely century of ours. Uh, and I put it away and I stopped for a bit and then kind of everything fell apart for me as happens with people from time to time, life-wise. And I did a little bit of world touring, um, which was lovely. I was in a position to do that. Always, always make friends. It's super helpful. Um, and I sat down, I'm like, all right, let's try this again. The stuff that was originally prequel slash history for the series I had already started on, you know what, let's go back and write that prequel. And I did, except I realized something very quickly. No one knows who the hell I am outside of music. And not everybody even knows that, right? So maybe, maybe, maybe ratchet back a little. So I broke off a chunk of that draft, realizing there's no way I'm going to get the entire tale done in a single book. And I turned that into a novella, uh, which I released in 2019. That was The Dawn of Unions. The idea was, if you, if you don't normally read fantasy, I want you to be able to read this. So if you know what a knight is, at least in principle, if you know that there are noble titles and theoretically people that have them in principle, and you know that magic is a thing that might exist and therefore there might be magical creatures in principle, congratulations, you know everything you need to in order to read that first book. That was the goal. Very cool. Mm -hmm. And that got published when? 2019. I released it November 19 of 2019. Very cool. And you self-published, correct? Correct. Correct. For now. I mean, I'm in talks with a couple of people. We'll see if if the numbers line up and everybody's happy with everybody. and We can get all the Harmony Grits moving in the same direction. But yeah, initially, thus far, it's also published. So what was that like for you? You know, uh, well, first of all, did you attempt to do a traditional before? Or did you just go, fuck it, I'm doing self-publishing? My first thought, hello, Discord. My first thought was uh, when I did the original book that I'm glad we never published. Uh, I thought, oh, traditional publishing, I'll get an agent, I'll do the thing, it'll be amazing. Maybe not. It, it, if, uh, correctly, I didn't actually get anywhere with that. So when I came back to this for Dawn of Unions, the first book, the idea was, let's just straight up self-publish it. I want to get it out. I want to see what kind of feedback I can get. I want to see, obviously, if it does reasonably well. Um, and frankly, I just want to say that it's done and out there. I'm excited about it. And I want to strike. And so I did. Um, and it was the appropriate pain in the ass. Pick every cliche you can imagine for self-publishing. Um, everything from editorial oopses and charm of occasional just hiccups in the process of getting it out and edited correctly and released in the right way and so on and so forth. Um, scrambling and begging and borrowing and stealing. Well, not quite stealing, but everything else to get the necessary funds and the the 
the man, the myth, the legend, the tower of power, the pinnacle of sexual perfection, Simon Vance, the award-winningest narrator in the history of audiobook narration, was kind enough to take my money. And I told him when I talked to him, I, I really feel like I'm paying for the phone call, not the narration, if I'm honest, um, because he's been such a part of my life as a reader for so long. Um, but he was kind enough to to do the narration for the audiobook version of The Dawn of Unions. And it was expensive and it was a pain in the ass and it was worth it. And I don't know why he put up with me. And I learned a lot and it's awesome. And that's where we are. I think that's thoroughly amazing and such a fun story. And, you know, it's interesting. I talk to self-published authors a lot. And, you know, when it comes to I don't think people understand the value of an audiobook as much as a self-published because it's expensive. Oh yeah. And, you know, but there's a whole readership that is that is audiobooks. You know what I mean? And a lot of the people that are audiobooks can kind of vacillate between both, but some of them are just audiobooks. A large majority are just audiobooks and they don't do print or anything. So having a great fantastic audiobook especially by somebody that wonderful is perfection, I think. Well, and and here's the thing outside of that, because you're right. Everything you said is 100% correct. Hell, I don't read print books. How could I? Um, my screen reader can read them to me. I can have Alexa read them to me. But I, it's not like I'm sitting down with a physical book going, hmm, pour over words. That that ship sailed a long time ago for me. So I am exclusively audiobook for you know obvious reasons. But sidestepping that for a second, I think a lot of people, I think, don't think about in the self-published uh, war self-publishing world. When you go to your landing page for, for the book, whatever the book is, and you see just the Kindle version or just the Kindle and the ebook version, it is really easy for that to throw a switch in the mind of a potential reader to say, well, if I'm really interested, I'll pick it up and that's great. But they're clearly kind of mm, a little naff, a little low budget on this, a little, less than fully invested. It looks like it is independently published, and I therefore have some presuppositions as to what I'm going to get. When you add to that a hardcover, when you add to that an audiobook that's on Audible or any other platform, and especially when it has uh, a narrator that they know that they've heard before, it changes the story, changes the conversation from the marketing, even from the, the, immedi the immediacy of I'm there, I'm hovering over the buy now button, do I do it or don't I? it changes the perception of your work. I think that's very true. I mean, Bo, do you have Kindle Unlimited? I absolutely don't have Kindle Unlimited. I do, yeah. I am not a fan of Kindle Unlimited because I feel like when I talk to people about it, and I could be just having a biased group because I know a lot of people like it, and it's easy because they pay monthly subscription and then they don't have to, and they get a ton of books. And I can understand that from a cost perspective, right? Mm -hmm. But I find that I have to sort through so much crap yeah. and start and stop a books because, and not that I don't ever do that in non-Kindle world, but I do it a lot more, I found, in Kindle world, and I just got frustrated because I couldn't get invested in anything that was happening because I'm like, I get four or five pages in and I'm like, Oh my God, this is terrible. This, and not the story, but yeah. they didn't edit it. They didn't. There's no I'm editing. Yeah. I find that with Kindle unlimited, the only time I use it is when I'm looking for a specific book, like on Amazon in general. And then I see, Oh, it's on Kindle unlimited. And then I go download it there. 
I don't like search through all the like dirt to find like the little gems in there. I just wait for it to like pop up and say, this is on Kindle Unlimited. And then I'm like, oh, sweet. Well, see, and I think, I think, Bill, that's, that's the way it works with most people that are on KU, right? Mm -hmm. I think they are looking for books in the same traditional ways that everyone else does. And then when they find a book they like, they're on Amazon going, oh, it's on KU. Awesome. Hang on. Click. Yeah. I agree. Now I don't mind trying it because I already paid for it. Exactly. I'll take the chance. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I'm not, I'm not sold. It's the greatest thing ever. I know a lot of indie authors complain that. Right. I know a lot of indie authors that complain the, that, that, you know, they don't feel valued, that they're not getting anything back and they're being monetized incorrectly. And I get it, but I feel like, and this is super unpopular opinion, but I feel like a lot of that is, you have two problems, I think, as an indie author, um, when it comes to, to money, right? One is, please love me, please love me, please buy my book, please buy my book, please love me, please love me. And the other is, I don't want to give it away for nothing or, or I don't want to give it away for pennies or I don't want to give it away for like a buck. It's certainly worth more. And it's, it's the barrier of, I want to show you what I'm worth. And I demand, cause I think I've put in the effort for it X dollars in return. And it's the classic. Do you want a hundred percent of a small pie or 1% of an enormous pie? And how much marketing are you personally willing to do? And these are hard questions and a lot of people don't like to to talk about them or think about them. It's interesting you say that because I've actually seen, um, so when you have something like Kindle that started off and they were like content, 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 right? Um, And they used to pay, I remember when they were paying like two cents a page or something like that. Now it's like 0.010s, seven one or something ridiculous it's cryptocurrency money right now yeah exactly but i think one of the things that i found really interesting about it is that um people don't realize when you have something that grows it grows infrastructure wise so -hmm. the company itself has to pay more programmers more people more things more like there's all this back-end stuff to maintain this beast that has been created right? right um when you have a million books So there's that from the Kindle side. And a lot of authors, um, instead of watching the market, so this is interesting. And I'm going to use this example because it was brought up on a call I was on the other day, which is the Blockbuster example, right? Right. If there's a great Mm -hmm. documentary on Blockbuster and what happened with Blockbuster, like where it started, what happened with the Netflix thing. And then there's a Netflix documentary that talks about how like Netflix almost went out of business too. So Mm -hmm. very interesting, the timing. And this is true with Kodak too, with digital cameras initially. And people don't realize Mm -hmm. that, right? Is when you're in a business, even if that business is very successful, you have to always be looking for what is the next thing that's yeah, coming what's the new iteration? Rise, yeah. Right. So there was a time, maybe even 10 years ago, that audiobooks were not the thing that they are today. Right. Yep. There were audiobooks. Right. I remember you could buy audiobooks on cassettes yep. in the store, and then you could buy them on CDs. And yep. that's how mm-hmm. you got audiobooks, right? But yeah. with the advent of technology, audiobooks became a lot easier to do. And I remember we used to have to download them on your phone. And could your phone take the whole thing? Like, right. And now I have 50 of them on my phone with room for more. Right. Exactly. It's all changed. Yeah. Exactly. 
Exactly. So, and and now they have it that once you mark it as played, it kind of pulls it back off your phone. So it's in limbo and all this fancy yeah. stuff. But people didn't think, oh, I might need an audio book on this book. The right. Kindle Unlimited crowd, I feel like, rode the wave of the Kindle Unlimited. And for some people, it still makes a lot of money and it's not bad. But they didn't go, what happens when that is no longer a thing, right? Yep. Like one thing I think, and this is the starting wave of something that I don't think a lot of indie authors have jumped on yet and realized is with the rules that Barnes & Noble has changed, where the stores can directly pick the books they want from whoever, yep. is understanding what stores need, like yep. discount wise and return availability, because they have parameters, regardless of who you are, that they have to, how they have to be able to order your books, and that you need to go into the stores around you and give them a one sheet and go, hey, you should buy my book, right? Exactly. I'm a local author. And that's a whole wave that'll be interesting to see if independently published authors start having that realization and what that means for pricing their books, right? Uh, there's right. a problem though. And the problem, and you're right, of course you're right. The problem is, um, and I don't want to go too far down this particular well, because it'll take the entire rest of the the hour and then more, <laughs> right? But the the internet over the last, let's call it 30 years specifically, has and we've all talked about it. We've all made jokes about it. Has given rise to the 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 keyboard warrior, the the anonymity of typing whatever you want in whatever capacity you want, fairly anonymously, right? And so what you run into is a whole lot of authors that don't feel like they can they can deal with the the anxiety of oh my god I have to talk to people and oh my god I have to sit on a panel and oh my god I have to knock on a door and oh my god I have to represent my own dream and if you're not willing to represent it how can you expect anyone else to but we have come to a point over the last 30 years where we've largely exacerbated the the fear that is already in the the, the sort of instinctual level largely of people that are not innately social creatures uh it's not that people aren't but a lot of people who like to write are not innately social creatures as much as there's a part of them that wants to be. Otherwise, why put the work out? The reality is there's this fear impulse of, I am not comfortable doing the scary thing of opening my real self physically in person up for ridicule or rebuke. I don't want to do it. And since I don't feel comfortable doing it, I'm not going to take the step of knocking on a door, of walking into a store and saying, here's my one sheet, please buy my book, of signing up to be on a panel at a convention, of, of you know, the list goes on. And we're going to see, I think, with the Barnes & Noble rule change, among other things, we're going to start seeing a lot of authors fall by the wayside compared to what they could be because they themselves aren't comfortable going beyond the 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 sort of insular, contented, safe box that the pandemic further allowed them to have, if you see what I mean. Does that Erica, make any we sense? can't hear you. Oh, I muted because there's <laughs> a loud noise. I'm sorry. Um, it'll be interesting to see because I think we're going to have to see the cropping up of more um, things for authors, I want to say, training, whatever, um, so that they can do that because otherwise those authors that could hide behind and could do the thing are going to go to the wayside because you have to, you have to do that now. Yep. That's yeah. what I mean. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then the other thing I wanted to touch on that you said real quick before our break is the cost. So one thing I've seen authors do and they don't even realize it is under um, price their work. Because if people see a book for $2.99, unless it's maybe the first in the series and on special, they don't think that book is worth anything. Right, exactly. If you don't think you're worth a damn, why am I going to think you're worth a damn? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's totally... Totally the way that goes. So um, how many books do you have out? Three. Three? Yep, there are three out. I am currently, uh, let's say, about thigh deep in book four. Uh, The first series, we'll see how it shakes out. because It's always about what makes it onto the page in a particular book, right? Uh, It's going to be somewhere between nine and 11 books in the first series. And when that series ends, then there'll be a, a time jump, not a huge one, but a, you know, a couple of years. And those that have survived that first series, along with new characters, will pick up and do the next big thing. Mm-hmm. And so that will be the next series. And there are, there are two more series planned after the first, after the Cycle of Bones. And I've got some work done in each series already. So you're done writing then? Just kidding. We- well, obviously, <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I'm done. Just back that truckload of money up to my house and it'll be great. <laughs> We had an author who came on and I was surprised because they reached out to us and we were like, what are you, what's up next for you? And she's like, I don't think I'm going to write anymore. And I was like, why am I interviewing you? (laughs) Yeah, it was was a very, very weird, weird thing. Okay, Bo, I'm going to let you get a question. And before we go to break, because I never do. (laughs) Hi, Bo. (laughs) She she never lets me speak. I I just sit quietly until second half. Um, Why fantasy? What drew you to fantasy specifically? I I, I was a weird kid. Shock. Um, <laughs> I, I I have always been sort of uh, attracted to uh, that part of of history. Um, that is to say, the the either medieval or pre medieval dark age and even before portion of history when when we were not at the let me just you know strap on my six gun and go uh, age of the world. It's just something I've always been fascinated by. I, I knew how to ride a horse before I rode a horse. Uh, I was immediately attracted to swordplay as soon as I had my chance. And this was, you know, from being a little kid, like most boys, I have a sword. I'm going to hit you with my sword. Like, you know, <laughs> but, but that never went away from me, right? It was right up there with music. It just never went away. Um, so for me, it was a no-brainer to take that and move into fantasy. But then add to that, I am... So I'm I'm going to avoid using the blasphemous phrase that every actual archaeologist hates. I'm a student of history, which is usually the excuse for I didn't do my research, but I I, I found something in history I like that matches my view. Um, So I'm going to I'm going to avoid that phrase. Uh, I love I love history. I love culture. I love language. I love to watch the migration of language, the way cultures interplay off of one another when they reach border regions. And that was always really important to me as as just a person. Right. Mm -hmm. So. I was able to throw that into not the first book. There are hints of it, but no more because it's a novella. I wanted it to have no barriers. But watching the way language plays off of other language, watching how language influences economics and politics, watching how the advent of warfare shifts from point to point, all of these things that are, are very traceable in real life history, if you look, as well as just my love of language as a whole, was sort of a pile waiting for me to pull the pieces out of to throw into the books. Um, so I got to explore a lot of different things, a lot of different themes, 
uh, a lot of which we deal with in real life and I think often deal with them poorly. Um, so I got to use a lot of things I love and a lot of things I gravitate toward and sort of put them in a big giant mixing bowl, dig in with my hands and start making stuff happen. That was that was it for me. I couldn't not do it. I've got other stuff I want to do. I've got an entire superhero thing I'm looking to do at some point. Uh, I'm currently tinkering with a screenplay for something closer to modern fantasy. I'm back and forth with, uh, well, I'm not going to mention names in case it doesn't happen. I don't want to dog him out, but there's a fairly well-known, fairly con- well-connected author I've been, I've been back and forth with, and we're back and forth on a screenplay. And I've been dragging my feet a little because I, I kind of need to get my head around it. Um, there's even sci-fi stuff I'd ultimately like to do. But fantasy is just very comfortable for me. It's something that I, as a playground, really enjoy stepping into and watching the way things that are not real, but analogous to real without being one-for-one comparisons play off each other. And I'm going to shut up now. (laughs) So you, you like history here? I do. Student of history. Is that what? No, we're never using that phrase. (laughs) No, I have too many friends in the industry that will shoot me in the head. He is a learner of history. I'll take that one. Learner of history. I like it. And with that, we'll be right back with drinking with authors. Hey listeners, you know me, Eric Lance. You're just listening to me in the podcast that you had, but guess what? I'm doing something new. Yeah, she's joining me, Mark Muncie, the author of the Erie, Florida book series in Erie, Appalachia. And we are hosting a new podcast called Erie Travels. Woo-woo, Erie Travels, which covers things like ghosts, cryptids, weird stuff, UFOs, men in black, all kinds of fun things that people talk about. And I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform or choice or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side. We're back. We're back. Okay, so you have a lot of stories. So how much do you write per year? Because this is a lot of books you're talking about. Well, so I would say maybe an average amount for, for fantasy writers. I don't know. Like I can't, I can't speak to that cleanly. I can tell you kind of from a word count perspective, the biggest complaint I got from the first book, we love it. Oh my God, we love it. Why is it so damn short? Well, cause it's a novella. It's supposed to be short, but yeah, but we want more. Okay, great. And so books two and three are doorstops. And so between them, between 2019 and September of 2022 with the three books, I put out half a million words. Wow. So half damn. a million words in four years. And I've got, probably another 40,000 words already written for book four. And I've got a bunch of other stuff written that will ultimately go in later books. So what does your writing goals look like? If like in five years, what would you like to see? Five years. Well, we're at that point, we're barking at the very end of the series, which I'm super excited about because it's sans spoilers. Let me simply say there are things a lot of authors are afraid to do. And there are things that a lot of readers just presume are going to work out because reasons. And I'm not like that. I'm not a fan of, of goring you out for the sake of goring you out, but nobody has plot armor. If somebody gets away from a terrible situation, it's because there's an actual reason for them to get away from the terrible situation. Something skill related, uh, you know, something else. It's not about convenient deus ex machina. It's not about that sort of thing. So we're getting toward the end of the series in five years. By that point, you're already going to have seen some of the writing on the wall 
and know some of the things that maybe traditionally you'd expect to go well that probably aren't going to go so well. I'm excited about that. By then, I will also hopefully have all of the soundtracks out because I do soundtracks for each book. I, in fact, am just about done with the final touches on the soundtrack for book two, Drums of Unrest, because uh, there's music there. There are lyrics as, as appropriate songs within the books. Not like it's a musical, but when you're in a society that doesn't have the interwebs, right, you're, you're going to have to entertain yourself somehow. And so music is a big part of that storytelling and, and singing. So there are songs that are folk that are related to, you know, the part of the world we're in, the characters that we're in, the histories and so on. And every now and again, a snatch, uh, a snippet or two will make it into a scene. And of course, everyone who already knows me for music went, well, of course, that's a song. When the hell do I get to hear it? First soundtrack's out. Second one's just about done. I've already started writing book three or sorry, soundtrack three. So five years from now, all those soundtracks hopefully will be out. All the books will be out. I would love to be in a situation where we're starting to talk to studios about optioning it for not necessarily a movie. I don't really want movies. I, I, I know we can't get the stories told the way I want them to as movies. They would need to be series. So I'd like to see that happen. Um, but that's really about it. Like, I, I love what I do. I get to play music live in front of lots of people, which is great. I get to record whenever I want, which is great because I've got all that tech here on the computer. Um, and I get to write. Like, I, life is pretty good, all things concerned. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, Bo. Over to you, my friend. Go Hi, Bo. <laughs> uh, you, you say you've written songs for the book. What do you listen to while you're writing? I have an entire writing playlist, and it shifts a little with each book, but it's all symphonic stuff, soundtracks for appropriate movies or shows or even video games, as well as the stuff I've already put out. Because with the soundtracks, I got to sort of flex my symphonic muscle, too. So it's not just the folk songs. There are, are songs that are specific to a scene or to a character that are, you know, the movement according to this character. So there's a lot of symphonic music in there as well. and sort of modern cinematic symphonic music, too. So I add those to the mix as well. And it's about the cultures I'm tackling with this particular scene or chapter or book. Uh, it's, it's about where we are in things. My playlist is never modern. Not because I hate modern music, quite the opposite, but because it doesn't help me get my brain into the mode I need it in when I have to sort of focus down into the the stuff going on on the planet of Skulf. So, what is your favorite movie soundtrack? Ooh, that's tough. Um, so, as much as if we're talking symphonic, as much as I love Howard Shore, and I do. I would actually weirdly have to say probably the soundtrack for an older movie somewhere in time. Ooh. It is Why? just gorgeous. And it's a perfect, perfect kind of time capsule for that particular story. It's a weird adaptation from the book, but a good one. Um, and, and the soundtrack is just stunning. So there you go. Switching gears a little bit. What is your favorite fantasy trope? It's weird to find. I haven't found it often, but I'd say probably my favorite fantasy trope is sort of the the detective within a fantasy realm. Not necessarily Sherlock Holmesing, but the and not necessarily the wizard either. Just the I have lots of weird archaic knowledge, and I have to help put the pieces together. 
and I'm right. not necessarily going to get them right, but I'm going to give the reader a lot more and the the sort of audience surrogate character in the story a lot more understanding than they otherwise would have. That's probably my favorite trope. Mm-hmm. What's your least favorite? Oof. I hate that this has become a trope and it's been lampooned appropriately, thank God. Probably my least favorite is As You Know. Mm. You familiar with that one? I think so. Can you explain it for the audience? Yeah, yeah, as I say, for the folks watching at home, As You Know is... So, Erica, as you know, podcasts are this sort of show and here is how you create them. And they've been around for X time. Well, of course you know. You're a podcaster, for God's sake. Yeah, I feel like that's like a mansplaining trope. <laughs> I wish it only were, but I see it. The show, fantasy but I'm like, mansplaining. I'm, okay. I'm having a book mansplained. <laughs> like, I, I, it drives me crazy. There are lots of things that do, everybody feels this way to, on one topic or other, obviously, right? But it drives me crazy when you frame some sort of exposition that the audience probably does need in a completely idiotic unreasonable there is no reason this conversation would happen between these people kind of way find a more creative clever useful way to get the exposition across you do not need to sit here with the great high general of doom and say as you know great high general of doom seventeen thousand years ago when everything was exactly the same as it is today there was a great war with this other evil enemy and we think this other evil enemy is part of the thing now as you know of course because you just fought him with your forces Okay, I'm done now. Close book. <laughs> you know, it's very ham-fisted. It's interesting because I don't think that it's just a fantasy trope. I see that, like, that actually drives me crazy in um, TV or movies. Like, there are ways to lay history down or facts down that people yep. need to know yep. without doing it like that, without somehow awkwardly explaining what's happening, right? And it's so funny because I never thought of that really as a trope, but I've seen it. And I think it's, it's like cheap writing. Like it is, to, it is. It really is. Yeah. No, that's great. Okay. Well, I had to get my two cents in. You continue. <laughs> what does your typical writing day look like? Oof. Um, so all my days start the same, no matter what, which is, you know, up, do the usual maintenance stuff everybody does. Right. Then I go and take my supplements and I do PT and then I sit down and check email. But all that crap is done when I get to be starting the day properly, all the other stuff out of the way. It is either reread the last thing I wrote because I've found long since, even if you hate what you wrote today, save it, read it again tomorrow. It's usually not as bad as you thought. Sometimes it's worse. But I want to edit what I last did first to make sure that I didn't screw something up entirely. Plus, it gets me back in the mood. After that, I'm sitting down with coffee and I've got whatever my playlist is for the particular stuff I'm writing. And I am neck deep until I am done with whatever it is I feel like I need to be writing today, whether that is a scene, which is usually a subchapter for me, or it is multiple chapters. I've had days where I've only written 150 words and called it a day. And then I've had days where I've written 13,000 words. And called it a day because, God damn it, I've written 13,000 words and I need some fucking sleep. Um, <laughs> you know, so it, it varies. But when I'm when I'm going, I'm full steam ahead. I only pause for obviously, you know, biological reasons. Sometimes you got to pee. But I only yeah. pause outside of that because I need to check my own notes for research 
or I need to go and confirm how X is said in Czech or in uh, Polish or in German or whatever, or I need to double check the actual real life history of crossbows to figure out when the first one of the style I'm using was built and used documentably. Not because anyone will check, but it matters to me. I know the time periods I'm trying to do and trying to uh, not replicate, but let's say uh, emulate or, or pay homage to. But I want to know when this type of armor or weapon or this word in, in the modern English language was first used because it bothers me when I find a word that is not appropriate for the era. It, 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 on some level takes me out of the world. Um, so, so my day when I'm in full riding mode is all the way in white knuckled riding the ride. I can't wait to see what happens next and pausing to research, to refill coffee or to, to, to hit the head. And that's, that's sort of my day. You know, phones off. You try to write every day when I'm, when I'm going. Yes. Unless I'm at a point where I have to stop. I have a weird form of writer's block. I don't have traditional writer's block. I don't work that way because why would I be normal? Right. Blind guy used to sword fight and teach other people how to do it for fun. Plays music has toured in different places around the world, has put stuff out, writes soundtracks for his books. Why would I do anything normal? My writer's block is not, Oh God, what happens next? Uh, you guys, I'm sure at some point in, in, in your lives have seen reality shows. X number of people living at X place and you're watching them through the cameras as they do their day-to-day thing and they film the exciting parts and show them to you. Nobody wants to see Sally stand up or Vanessa stand up and brush her teeth. That's not something they film. It's certainly not something they show the audience in the final cut, but I, I know my characters. I, I get in their head and sort of, I don't want to you know be metaphysical about it, but sort of channel them. I am, it's acting. I am acting as that character. So I don't have to stop and go, what would Yobam do? What would Kaith do? I instead am sort of mentally channeling. I am as if on stage acting as improving as Yobam or Kaith or whomever in the situation. And so even I get surprised sometimes because I expect X, Y, and Z to happen. I know every major plot beat that's going to happen. I do. I just need to understand the nuances of how this character whose head I'm in for this chapter or sub chapter is going to play out. That's really me figuring out at what point in Kaith's day am I turning on the cameras that are following him around? It's not about what happens next. It's about at what point in Kaith's day do those cameras go on and start streaming live? So my, my blocks, my, my writer's block are really about trying to find the right moment for that camera to go on. They're not about what happens. They're about when do I join his day already in progress. So when that happens, I pause and I step back. And sometimes it takes me a day or so because no matter what I'm doing, all of the things I go, how about here, feel off. It sounds like you outline um, extensively because you have everything nope. already. No, because it sounds like you have everything planned out. So I... I disagree with the use of the term from certain folks that are fairly famous, but I'm more of a gardener than anything else. I know all of the major plot beats, the major ones. I know how the story goes, but there's a character who dies in book two that I had no idea was going to die until the scene happened and then it happened. And I'm like, well, shit, he's dead. Shit. Right. Like that's, that was it for me. Um, 
what I know is I know the world and have extensive notes on the world in an absurd detail. I know the characters and their histories. So for me, it's putting on the coat and standing on stage and improving the character. And I know the major plot beats. So it's how do I get this character, who I'm now pretending to be as I write, into this section? What transitions them from here, the last plot beat I knew about, to here, the next plot beat I know about? What happens in between? And that's where the discovery is for me. So I'm a bit of a gardener. I I, I, I outline or, or I, I plot or I plan for the important parts. I know what they are. I understand them. But because I know the world as well as I do, I get to sort of play a little archaeology, a little anthropology as I go, because I know the world well, I know the history of it, and I know the characters and their histories. So I get to watch them interact and watch them solve the problem. So it gets to be a lot more fun than just, okay, let me write the next scene. Yep, got it. This happens. I have touchstone scenes like that, but not the entire plot. All right. So it's like you you created the sandbox and you tossed everybody in it and you're yes. just like, let's play around. Exactly. Because I understand everyone and everything in the sandbox. I just have right. to watch them bounce off each other. Mm-hmm. So now I have a question because I've been watching The Last of Us, which by the time I love The Last of Us. And, you know, what I always enjoy Um, writing that's different right and for me as an author at least I go wow that's fascinating and if you've watched or whatever the last of us the way they write it is very much including some of the teeth brushing and stuff like that like you're you're going through that moment or moments in time when you know this won't be spoiler alert because if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it fucking get off your ass but um (laughs) been months yeah it will have been months um season uh episode three with nick offerman in it who i just absolutely adore period right um that was a day in the life very rudimentary things very much not you know very much as you i'm going to call it your teeth brushing situation in a lot of those scenes but used to do character building Well, and that's it. It was necessary for the building of the character. And it was also a good juxtaposition compared to the insanity of the rest of the world. Right. Yes. So it's just interesting. I kind of wonder if you took a novella of your characters and did some of that, like, you know, this is the life, the day, the experience, you know what I mean? Right. I mean, and there are there are scenes of that within the books. They're just, they're not common for obvious reasons. And I'm down, right? If I get, if I get enough feedback from fans, we love X character. Can we please get some just day in the life, a side story, something, tell me more about pick a character. Oh yeah. I'm in. I know them well enough. I know the world well enough. I would be all kinds of down. I just need to know that there's interest. If that makes sense. No, totally. I mean, hey, fans listening out there, if there's interest, you're going to get some social media stuff in a little bit here. You'll be able to reach out to them and let them know. (laughs) I could write in this world and these worlds forever and never get bored. There's not going to be a situation where I'm like, eh, I don't, I don't want to write that story, that character. No, I don't. Nah, the the world is boring. I'm done with it. It's time to move on. That's not going to be a thing for me. The story. Sure. (laughs) But no, I can write other characters in other parts of the world forever. R.A. Salvatore, um, one of the other hosts on the show, J.M. Paquette, 
met Ari Salvatore. She's got some very funny stories about his book. And one of his books is the reason that she looks at the back of a book to see if the main characters are still alive. Because one of his stories, one of the main characters dies and it broke her forever. She's a happy endings kind of person. Ah, Um, Gotcha. But she met him and he was one of the people that seemed to really remember. And I'm not saying everything, but knew his books and his very, very well. So Mm -hmm. when talking to him about different parts of the book, he could very much speak to it always. And not just the action scenes. He seemed to very much be able to reference back to books and stuff like that. Do you feel like you're that kind of author? Oh, all day. All day. Okay. All day. I'm not that kind of author. I'm like, they bring up little stuff. I'm like. I am blessed enough to, I don't have, you know, this immense giant following of doom, but I'm not five people that have read my books. Thanks very much. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm moving along as an indie author. I'm not Jenna Moresi. I'm not that cool, but I'm working on it. Um, but I've been blessed to have really sort of involved and sort of all of the fandom that you could possibly want from readers. And I've, I've had conversations which are, oh, okay. In this scene, right? When this thing happens to that character. So am I wrong? Because I think that means this. And doesn't that with this other thing? What? Hold on. Awesome. You're not entirely wrong. But don't forget in the chapter before X happened. Oh my God, you're right. Like these are conversations I've had at tables at conventions like Necronomicon. And it's super incredibly just flattering beyond words. Um, One of the problems for good or ill, um, some people will think of it as a problem. I'm kind of flattered by it. The people that really resonate with my writing outside of just the dawn of unions, which by definition was sort of self-contained short and sweet. They feel, and they've said this in a very complimentary way. I can't dip into your book. I don't want to. I feel like I have to come to the book with a knife and a fork or a spoon. I have to focus on it because every and anything could matter. And I love that the language. I love the culture. I love, but the detail, the attention to who is doing what and why and how and when, if I just breeze past something, I'll completely miss it. And it drives me crazy to miss things. So I love that I have to put that effort in, but it means I can't just dip into the book. I have to make the concerted effort. I'm going to sit and read now. For good or ill, that's what I'm getting. And for me, I love that. It just means it's going to require a little more work to sort of find the right reader. Well, yes and no, because I think that's actually true high fantasy readership. It's much like sci-fi. Like, I don't think you have casual sci-fi readers. Does that make sense? Like, I read paranormal romance sometimes because it doesn't take a lot of thought process on most of the paranormal romance stories that I read, right? Like, it's big hulking person and flawed person and whatever you know like that's it it, there's sort of tropes that go along with it but you you go and go this is easy reading or you know some humorous books and stuff like that it's really easy peasy reading and you don't have to worry about you know what's like oh my god i gotta say it into the story you can do other things where there's stuff that very much you have to pay attention to what's going on sure but but the counter to that or i guess the the sort of other path to that is it really comes down to sci-fi fandom or fantasy fandom, right? If you are reading a Star Trek book or a Star Wars book, 
you're going, they're, they're very different from one another, obviously. They're very different in how much effort they put into explaining and describing. But still, in either case, it doesn't require you to dive into every single instance of every, you know, quotation mark in the book. You can read those things more casually because of the, the sort of subgenre of sci-fi they take part in. You, you're not going to read um, a Bob Aspirin book that way when, when you're looking at fantasy, right? You're, you're not, you shouldn't read Marlon James that way when you're looking at fantasy. And oh my God, if you have not read Marlon James, you have to. Oh my God, knocked over by the Dark Star trilogy so far. I cannot wait for the third book. But it, it's down to the, the sort of the subgenre, the type of whatever the larger genre is. And there are plenty of examples of fantasy, like look at Piers Anthony. You can read all of the older Piers Anthony stuff, the Xanth stuff. You don't need to dive into that with a microscope and a giant notepad. You don't need That's to have true, a knife. I don't know that I consider Piers Anthony, who I love and was what introduced me to fantasy, Vale of the Vole. I've mentioned that on this show before. Um, even though that's not book one, that's where I started. Uh, uh, I don't know that I consider that high fantasy the same way. Like I High fantasy, not- no, but fantasy, absolutely. Oh, no, I agree. But I think, like, that's what I'm saying is to me, when you go to read like Tolkien or Terry Goodkind or like some of these, you know, like, even if you just want to judge by by size, which we're not supposed to do, but we no, do. No, um, but, but people like, do anyway. Uh, the thickness of those books, right? Like almost tells you whether you're committed or not to the thing. Like, I, I will not mention again, names. Size does matter, Joke, and Bo is losing her crap. You know? her <laughs> I will not mention so names, perfect. but there are there are fantasy authors that I have read and I have gotten 60 hours into the first two audiobooks of the trilogy and just no i'm done because they they over detailed the wrong things and it it stopped it it didn't really resonate with me from jump but i'd heard good things and it's a well-known author again who i will not mention names because i don't want to make enemies um if it should come back out i don't want to have to deal with that later on but i I, it's a well-known author, a quote, rising star in fantasy uh, from last decade. And I read this and dove into the first two books and I hoped it would get better. And instead of getting better, it just dragged on and on and on. And then the last of it in there, I, because I fought for years and taught people to fight for years in, in, in large melees, a thousand plus people, real life per side, no choreography. I, I, I know some of what it is to be in a real fight with an actual sword or, or with a facsimile thereof. And I've watched the way some of the fights in these books were described and went, no, no, that person is dead. And no, that weapon is dropped. And no, why are we doing this? Because it's no longer about any kind of rule of cool. It is that you are in love with your character winning. I'm done. Right. Uh, Size sometimes matters in the wrong way. You've got these giant books, 30 hours plus of audiobook per novel. And most of it is, sort of self-masturbation well just masturbation at that point um it, it it's just not worth it to me and sometimes size will take you in that direction and you can tell looking at you know the first couple of chapters of any given book if this is i am in love with my own work and you will be too so help me read my massive books it, it, or, or if there's actual passion behind it there's a huge difference between sort of narcissism and passion and I think epic fantasy is probably not the only genre like this, but 
often I see this in epic fantasy where there is only thought to, I want my character to seem awesome and cool because in my head he is, never mind that he may or may not be an author self-insert. Um, and, and you lose the connection between reader and author. And that's dangerous. And I mean, I've made mistakes that way too. I've tried really hard not to, but nobody's perfect. But just sometimes size shows you the effort. Yes, the commitment that is theoretically expected of you as a reader, certainly the commitment of the author to put pen to paper. But that doesn't always equate to quality and it doesn't always equate to resonance. And if you're not getting resonance out of your work with the people reading it, then either you're pushing to the wrong audience or it just it really isn't that good. And maybe you should go back and find a developmental editor to look at what you've done because you've, you've missed that connection point. And I'm going to get off my soapbox before I get a nosebleed. I was going to say, I was going to say, woo, woo. Way to deflate my size does matter theory. But I'm um, a jerk. <laughs> I'm going to let Bo ask the final question because I completely wrecked her with that entire line. And I love it. So, Bo, final question, my friend. No fear. I can't a- see you blush. It's fine. <laughs> It just, it went from size matters and then she added thickness to it. And I, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay, Erica. All I right. This is a question. bad example. We've covered this many times. Mm-hmm. You're the one who gets me in trouble. All right. Final question. What is the hardest part of being a writer? I guess the hardest part is reminding yourself that it will never be perfect. So, and I'm, I'm gonna, uh, she's not the only one who said it, but she's now the most recent person to make it a thing because she just released a book by this title. It's really important to just shut up and write the damn book, right? Jenna Moresi's new book, shut up and write the book. Uh, she, she's, she's right. You, you will never be perfect. It will never be perfect. And, and I get good enough isn't, right? I do. We're all on one level or another perfectionists, but you can't keep going back over the last stuff you did and you can't keep going. Yeah, but I shouldn't because I know it can't go that way. Some at some point you have to sit down and do the work. You have to just make yourself do battle with the blank page and write. And it's okay that what you put on the page today sucks in your own head. It may suck objectively, but wait, Come back and reread it later. Certainly don't delete it. And no matter how much you get frustrated, I say again, don't delete it. At least not the day you wrote it. The hardest part for me is remembering that I need to pause in my sort of self-reflection and just do the damn job. Once I get started, that's not so much a problem. But when I take the breaks that you have to take between work, right? you finish one project and you have to do some promotion on it, And I feel like it's much better to focus on one thing at a time in that regard. You have to build, I have to build myself back into, no, stop arguing. Sit down and write. Make yourself sit down and write. Make yourself re-enter the the sort of habits that you had before. And and don't live on the last laurel you earned, right? Don't, Don't just sit back and go, well, I've already done this. Look at how cool I am. No, no. You did the thing. Take the break. Make yourself take the break and then sit down and do the work. And those are the, the speed bumps I keep running into in between projects. I have to make myself stop. And then I have to make myself 
not lean back after I've taken the necessary break on what I've already done and go, yeah, but look how cool the thing I did is. And then I have to make myself do the work of getting back to the blank page and pushing forward. Once those boulders have been moved out of the way, it's smooth sailing, but I have to get those boulders out of the way. And those are for me as a writer, the hardest things to deal with. Hello, Drinking With Authors fans. This is your host, Erica Lance. Because of the change of the format of the show, welcome to the literary briefs portion. Enjoy. So first question, always, always, what is the fa- your favorite book of all time? Uh, there is no of all time. There is of X year. So I can go back and point to things like Stephen King's It or The Dark Half, uh, the series from him, The Dark Tower Cycle, which is probably my favorite series of all time. I can look at currently uh, Marlon James' Dark Star Trilogy. Uh, I can I can go back to, of course, Everyone Loves Tolkien. It, it's really, it's about the year for me. So it's hard to answer with one. Okay, what about What's your favorite year? book of 1998? <laughs> What was I reading in 98? Good Lord. <laughs> um, do you know, I think I was neck deep in Anne Rice in 98. Okay, well, that's not something so, ever Yeah, so <laughs> I think, I think, I think if we're talking late 90s, probably Tale of the Body Thief. That's actually a really good one. I like that one. Okay. That's um, like my favorite one. Really good. Raglan James. Yep. Least favorite book of all time. <sighs> we warned you that question was coming. So of, I know yeah. of, of all you listen time? to the podcast. We asked that. These are the two questions we always ask. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> ask. Most readers read again and go, oh, wait, there's this one. Oh, wait, there's that one. Probably. And I hate to say this because I love the author so much. Probably. Probably Eyes of the Dragon. Why? Stephen King. I love how it starts. But the way the book ends, the pacing of the way the book ends, yanked me so far out of the story. Like the big climax and then the way it ended, it yanked me all the way out of the story. And that part of that may have been that the audiobook version, but I don't think so. So... That was, I'm going to go with the book that was the biggest disappointment to me because I loved the strength of how it began, but not so much the way it ended. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. Um, I always like to throw Bo off with my new questions that I come up with, and I've come up with some (laughs) new ones. Well, um, in your book series, what character would you want to change into? (sighs) Probably Yobam. Why? So he's had his fair share of challenges, like I think everyone does. But uh, in part, he's based off of uh, not not a one for one analog, but he's based off my best friend. And I kind of like to be him when I grow up. But sidestepping that, I just he's managed to find a good balance. He's managed to find people and things to believe in. And he still has to fight through the same sorts of 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 hell you would expect any fantasy hero to have to fight through. So lots of good lots of struggle, lots of bad, and still an open mind. So I think that's probably who I'd want to be. Very cool. Bo? What is your least favorite? What is my least favorite you cut out? Genre. Oh. 
probably, and I hate to say this because I want to love it, but frankly, probably just erotica because so much of it is so completely over the top to the point where it, it doesn't even do the job for me. Right. You should read Val, uh, Honey Cumming, Sleeping with Sasquatch. I, I have I have heard. I in fact I believe it was <laughs> I believe it was it was that very author who told me I should read that. So yes, I will no, uh, I, I think if you're if you don't want just raunchy, naughty sex, you have to find the ones that are humorous or paranormal or whatever, because other you know, otherwise it's the it's vanilla or chocolate. Like those are the flavors of a lot of yeah, erotica see, bugs. And my, my issue is I don't I don't care. If it's kind of over the top ish, right? That's fine. Like it's fantasy. It's it's a fantasy. It's fine. But I want to I want to believe in what I'm reading. I want to be able to get lost in what I'm reading. And so much of what I've seen is just it's it's so too much beyond a certain point that there's nothing to believe. There's no getting lost in it. It is it's it's the erotic equivalent of gore. It's it's. Mm-hmm just gratuity and and it's fine like there's nothing wrong with it it's just not for me no that makes sense but you also you know you brought up on the last podcast you know having done sword fighting and knowing how to fight with swords and stuff like that and i think that's something i've asked a lot of authors over time when they've um when they're doing a fight scene and stuff do they use dolls or whatever to mimic like how that this would go or do they watch fight scenes like what do they do to go this is how it's creating the same is very much true with erotica writers and i don't think enough of them do this is getting whatever you know if you if you got a dinosaur in your story there they make them go to you know mattel get a dinosaur just (laughs) look at because they'll describe it and to me kind of like the sword play that doesn't make sense like a fighting scene that doesn't make sense or a you know, when it doesn't make sense and a sex scene where you go, wait, what? Wait, his hand was what? Like So you- newsflash, ladies, I'm sure this will shock you. Did you know that not every sex act for the first time with a virgin will result in blood? Did you know? <laughs> what? Like, I know you don't need to shatter someone's hymen. Who knew? I, do some basic research for Christ's sake. Maybe have some actual sex before writing erotica. <laughs> and that is the tagline for the show. Maybe <laughs> before writing erotica. I'm a helper. I'm helping. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> if you could be any fantasy or mythological creature, who would you be? Or what would you be? Probably, almost certainly, not just a dragon, but one of my dragons. Um, I won't go into specifics because people haven't seen them yet in the books, but let's just go with dragons, but the kind that actually have a, a level of intelligence to them. So on. I like it. Bo. what is your favorite book to movie adaptation? Book to movie specifically. It can That's... be book to TV show if you want. All right. So, uh, Kenneth Branagh's not much ado about nothing was ridiculously amazing best Shakespearean thing I've ever seen made into a production. Uh, in spite of the changes, I really like the Somewhere in Time adaptation. Um, I really, as far as uh, TV stuff goes, specifically Daredevil and specifically, for a couple of reasons, and specifically Mike Coulter's uh, Luke Cage 
uh, are probably the best adaptations uh, of of basic story and character I have ever seen translate for something like comics into a show or uh, a video production of some sort. What is your least favorite book to media uh, adaptation? Are you ready for the horrible and popular opinion? Mm -hmm. The Hobbit. That's not horribly unpopular. That's not, everyone, <laughs> that is the true opinion. There are, yeah. there are so many people that hysterically will account themselves purists that will find something to say it's amazing. I, no, just no, with a side of no. The ironic thing is the fact that it is such a weird duckling, that trilogy that they've made it into, is actually surprisingly closer to Tolkien's mindset on the book. The Hobbit was not initially something he had super tied to the rings and the rest of of, um, of Arda of Middle Earth. It it was it naturally grab it fell into the gravitational pull of all of that. But I actually just recently saw an interview with Chris Tolkien that was very clear on that. When he wrote The Hobbit, he didn't super care for it the way he did Lord of the Rings. But when he started writing the Rings trilogy, it sort of necessarily drew The Hobbit all the way back into the orbit of everything else he'd written. So the weirdness of the Hobbit trilogy being such a weird departure, that's the one thing about it that I like, that it was not clearly quite as as well put together or as clearly tied as, as maybe it should have been. Um, but yeah, so least favorite, that's definitely it. Oh, oh wait, I lie. No, there is a worse offender. Sorry, there is a worse offender. The Gunslinger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was warned not to watch it because I would probably light the theater on fire. It took me, <laughs> it, it, it is such a favorite of mine and the character is such a favorite of mine. It took me years to be downwind from it and I do mean downwind from it enough that I could stomach watching it and appreciate it as a film. It's not even a particularly good film, let alone adaptation. But as far as adaptations go, that is the most egregious offender of bad adaptations. And there, I'll stop now. I like it. What is your best fan experience? Being at a convention, doing a live acoustic show with some of the stuff from the soundtracks and having a couple people sing along. You Very were so infatuated with my books, with the characters and with the music that I put out for them that you learned the songs, showed up to be in the audience when I not only got to do panels and sit at the booth, but do a live acoustic show and sang along and I could hear you. There is nothing that tops that. That's very cool. What about your weirdest fan experience? So there have been times where I lived uh, abroad or just away from sort of my home stomping grounds of Florida. And I would fly in occasionally, as I have done and go to some either fan event or, or you know festival or the like and hear Corwin and people would run over and I would get the uncomfortably long man hug and they would wring my hand and speak to me as if not only have I saved their child's life but they named their child after me. That is how completely <laughs> ingratiating they, they, they have played out our relationship to be. And I would nod and I would smile and yep, it was really good to see you. Awesome. Thanks very much. And they'd leave. And I turn to whoever it is that's there handling me when they're done going, was that? Who was that? Because not only did they never give their name, because why would they? They assume I know them, but I'm blind. 
I'm not going to know by face. And if there's some random fan I've met or person I've met, their chances are high that their their voice and their generic manner isn't in my memory banks yet. So I got nothing to go on. And the whole three, five, ten minute conversation gave me nothing to go on. So I've left that conversation being as polite as I possibly can and then turned to whoever I'm with and had to go. I had no idea who the fuck that was. Do you have anything? Can you give me anything? So that's the worst. Yeah, no, I, uh, it's very funny because I've done, you know, podcasts, I've done author stuff. I've done stuff for a long time and HR stuff. So I've hired and or fired literally thousands of people. Like you do. Yeah, like you do. And people will walk up to me and start just talking to me and I'll be like, oh yeah, no. And my boyfriend is like, who was that? I'm like, I have no fucking clue. No fucking clue. Yes. (laughs) um, he's like, but you talk to him like, I'm not going to like, they obviously have some importance on who I am. Right. There's no reason for me to be a dick. <laughs> yeah. So I don't have to go, who are you again? I can, you just use honey, sweetie, whatever terminology. Exactly. And try and language. tease it out of them. Yeah. And then they walk away and he's like, who's that? No idea. And so now he goes, <laughs> I meet people. If I don't introduce, he's now got the cue. If I don't introduce them, then that's how the cue is that I don't know who the fuck they are. See, Bo now sees this. So when she's at conventions with me, she'll be like, she has no fucking clue who that person is. Well, and the trick I learned to get past this, when I, every chance I get, I play this card. If I'm in a conversation and let's say we three are standing around at some con and somebody comes up and, oh, Corwin, blah, 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 blah. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, have you guys met Erica? Bo, have you? And I will pause because it is a natural part in the conversation for them or one of you to go, hi, I'm. And then immediately I'm like, ah, got it. Yeah, no, that's a very good, good trick. Very good trick. I like it. Okay. So um, what is a genre, I'm stealing this from both, that you haven't written that you would love to write? Um, either supers or sci-fi. Because okay. I've got plans for both of those, but I have not actually written and published anything like that. What genre are you afraid to, would like to write, but are afraid to write? I don't think I'm afraid to write any genre. If I had to pick, and I will, just for the sake of not being the guy who cops out on the question, I'm going to go with mystery. But I try and incorporate some of that into the newer books. So my hope is that I'm already doing that as I go forward. But Again, I don't think there's anything I'm afraid to write, but the closest I can come to is mystery because I'm just dipping my toes in that now. Very cool. Bo? What is your Desert Island book? Probably the final book, The Dark Tower. If I needed a single book ever, I would probably go with that. One, it's huge. Two, it's kind of episodic. And three, it has a very clear ending. Uh, plus, you know, I love the world. So. I like it. Um, so what is your favorite snack while you're writing? Just coffee. Just coffee? Yep, that's it. So when you Black write 13,000 words, you just have coffee? Just coffee. Jesus. I would be. <laughs> I, th- I so think that was right. like an eight cup day, by the way. I, uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So. <laughs> So do your characters talk to you all the time? Not in the sense I think you mean. 
So a lot of, a lot of authors, especially a lot of the more famous newer author tubers, um, like to, to, to sort of lambast people who say, my characters weren't behaving and so on and so forth. Um, and I get that, right? Because often that can be used as sort of this cutesy dodge of why my excuse for not writing today is valid. But I don't think it's unrealistic to say that the characters are they're, they're to an extent real people. And by that, I don't mean that they have have the kind of life that we all physically have here. I mean, barring string theory, that's, that's kind of not a thing. But you know them well enough if you know your world and you know your characters. If you know them well enough, it's not that they talk to you, but you can very easily hear how they would respond to a given situation. So that's that's kind of my answer there. It's not that they talk to me in that sense, but it's really easy to think how X, Y, and Z character would would interact in a given situation or how they might say this scene that you have in your head, uh, the final line from that scene. Um, so kind of, but not, not in the way I think you mean, no. Okay, okay, Bo? If you had to co-write a book with any author in the world, who would you co-write with? Hmm. He's That's thinking, a... just in case anyone's wondering yeah. what. The no, 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 no. I mean, that'd be great <laughs> no, too. I know. Yeah. I have to just say that because people are listening and are probably going, "Wait, did my podcast stop?" <laughs> no, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're absolutely right. That's a very long pause for people that aren't watching on uh, on other tubes of you. Um, wow, I mean, this is so a dumb question. I love it, the <laughs> There are so many, and you're making me pick one. Um, yeah, one. So probably, probably right now, probably Joe Hill. Mm-hmm. But that's a really, really tough call because I immediately look at Marlon James. I'm like, oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I look at Richard Lee Byers. Oh, yeah, I, I could do that. Um, I, you know, I obviously Stephen King. Um, there are a hundred, hundred authors I would look at and go, I would love to sit down and kind of back and forth with that guy or girl or whomever. But if you're making me pick top of the list one I'm going to go with Joe Hill just because he reminds me of his dad without being a carbon copy. And he, I think, would bring a lot of interest. Well, obviously, he'd bring interesting stuff to the table. I feel like he'd be fun to bounce things off of. I feel like he'd be fun to create with, to paint with. Very cool. Um, what is your favorite weird food combination? Yeah, this one has taken some thought. Uh, weird Weird is a is a... Weird is a very acquired term because some people think things that aren't that weird are completely weird to them. Uh, I I have an interestingly, people find it weird, bachelor dish I cooked early on before I learned anything about how to cook. And it was obviously just pasta, uh, but with that, mushrooms, cream of mushroom soup, and tuna. And that really confuses a lot of people. But I really love that combination. Um. I've That's also discovered like a tuna casserole. It, it is. Um, but a lot of people don't see it that way. And I don't know why. To me, that feels very similar to a tuna casserole, but isn't the same. Um, I'm also the. What kind of noodles you use? If you're talking about spaghetti, then that's fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm looking at stuff like ziti or penne pasta or even just elbows. You could do it with. 
I um, think egg noodles are the best to do that particular dish wish because I've actually made it myself. Oh, well, then you get it. Um, yeah. I am also weird because uh, food wise, because a dear buddy, a dear friend of mine uh, at Abbott taught me this one. And it was such an easy solution that I'd never thought of. Cream cheese with chicken. Just like, like, j grill your, like, like grill your chicken and your sauce that you're either going to spread it on or bake it with or whatever winds up being cream cheese. Interesting. Interesting. I've also, I've also done a sandwich at a place called La Bodega when I was recording up in Cleveland and they do a, a mean roast beef on rye with a bunch of veggies and cream cheese. And it is not something you would have expected, but oh my God, it's perfect. Wow. Very cool. Cream cheese can be used a lot. Somebody said hot Cheetos and cream cheese on the show. And I, so I actually bought okay. hot Cheetos today to try that. That fair. Yeah. <laughs> I'm willing to try these things, Bo. I'm willing to go out on a limb. Ooh. But we have near we the should... end of the episode. Bo, do you have just a riveting question that needs answering? Uh, I can think of one. If I don't know if it's riveting, though. If you had to dedicate your first novella to a celebrity, who would it be? Well, I already did. The whole series is dedicated to, yeah, the whole series is dedicated to Jocko Willink and the men of SEAL Team 3. Ooh. Very cool. Very they, cool. They taught me an enormous amount of stuff through their writings and the stuff I've seen for the Mont film um, about, about leadership, about ownership, about drive, about self-discipline and it's stuff that I obviously couldn't do because they weren't going to give the blind guy a gun. That's a whole separate story. We'll talk about that sometime. Maybe if I come back on for another book, but it just, I learned a lot and continue to learn a lot from the lessons they have learned and that they continue to teach through their books and their podcasts and everything. So yeah, first book. And in fact, the whole series is dedicated to Jocko Willink, Leif Babin and the rest of SEAL Team 3. It's asking a bruiser. Very cool. Okay. Shameless self-promotion time. Where do people find you and your books? So, uh, J-P-C-O-R-W-Y-N, if you Google that, I'm everywhere. There's like 30, 40, 50 pages deep. Uh, Facebook is J.P. Corwin Official. Everything else is slash J.P. Corwin. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon, the whole shot. And the website is jpcorwin.net. Come say hi. Very cool. And your book series is? The Cycle of Bones. Very cool. It's been wonderful having you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. We finally got to hang out. It's awesome. <laughs> yes. Yes. The fates have aligned. Construction Indeed. be damned. Indeed. Okay, guys. This is the Drinking with Authors, the Literary Briefs edition. I have been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host has been the amazing Bo Lake. Don't forget to do a review first and then like and subscribe. I did that for Bo. And Very impressive. Very impressive. <laughs> Leave us a comment and we will see you guys next time. Bye.